Amen. Well, I'm glad that Jesus rose from the dead because it gives me something to be excited about because my mariners sure aren't doing it for me. So I'm just going to have to have all of my joy be in Jesus, which actually sounds pretty biblical to me. So we'll go with that. But uh, we do have an Easter egg hunt coming up for the kiddos. No adults allowed, but please, if you're an adult, you can come with your kids, but you just can't pick up the eggs. I mean, you can. Actually, we're very grace-based here. Just everyone's going to look at you uh, with judging eyes. (laughs) And I'd love a piece of candy if you have some. We're also doing a new series starting next week. Um, We put it in your bulletin. It's called Kaleo, which is the Greek word for called. And the reality is every one of us in this room, we have been called by God. Did you know that? You were called by God. And we're doing a series to discover what that means in your life. But today, as Adam was saying, it's all about Jesus, that he's no longer in that tomb. It's a celebration. He said, I love, he said something about like it's supposed to be the biggest and the loudest celebration. For me and in my life, that means it needs to be louder than when, uh, when you remember this? You probably, you weren't around, but Edgar hit the double, right? And Griffey comes around from first and he scores and he slides in and they tackle him. Remember how loud we got? Or when... Oh, when was that? Like this year when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl? Oh, my goodness. When hell freezes over, right? (laughs) And it just happened. (laughs) But today, the reality is Jesus is alive. Death has been beaten. beaten, We find the victory in Jesus. And because he was victorious, we are victorious. And there is a celebration. Like this is party time. Party time. I would encourage you to celebrate with your family, celebrate with your friends. Even if they don't know Jesus, just kind of give them a hug and be like, did you know? Did you know Jesus is alive? And they might think you're weird and freak out, but they already think you're weird because you go to church. So don't worry about that. Just be weird and tell them the truth. Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, you can be alive. I love this day. But here's the, here's the deal. As much as this is a celebration of, of that tomb being rolled away, I, I find that sometimes... We kind of just skip past that week that happens before uh, Easter and the celebration of Easter. It's one of the things Catholics do so beautifully well is they remember the walk of Jesus uh, leading into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so we wanted to spend some time talking about those things this morning. So much happened preceding that resurrection. In fact, I would challenge you this week or maybe sometime in the next couple of weeks, open up your Bibles, go to the Gospel of John, and, and you can read John chapter 12. All the way through chapter 20. And these chapters, they're going to tell you about this last week before the resurrection. It is an incredible week. I mean, it is a crazy week. If you think about it, it's this mix of beauty and of pain, of suffering, of glory, of agony, and yes, victory, and ultimately the love of God. It's a crazy week. You could spend an entire year, some would even say a lifetime, just covering the week preceding Easter, right? There's so much to be said. Think of all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, the prayers that he prayed, the commands that he gave, this amazing obedience, this ridiculous obedience he had to do the Father's will and this unfailing love for you and me. Again, a crazy week. And it would be impossible for us to be able to communicate entirely all of the details of this holy week. But by the Holy Spirit, I pray that one major detail would be communicated this morning. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Jesus walked this incredibly intense week because of his love for you. Romans 5, verse 8. 
It says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, guess what? Christ died for you. He died for us. And we see the love of the Father for you and for me displayed through Jesus in this week leading up to the resurrection. And it is the Lord's desire for every one of us, every one of us in this room, to be able to recognize, acknowledge, and I would say even receive that love. I'm here to tell you, you need His love. You do. (laughs) You need Him. You are in desperate need for Him. You need His grace. You need His mercy. You need rescue. You need a Savior. As we spend time looking at this crazy week, the reality is many of you in this room, you've had your own personal experience of a crazy week. Right? Maybe not the perfect Lamb of God who was slain and died for the sins of the entire world kind of week. But you've had your week. As your pastor, I get to hear some of the struggles, some of the sickness, the hardships that you've gone through. I know what I hear only scratches the surface. Some of you, you've experienced a week over this past year with enough pain and suffering, hurt and loss, depression and sorrow to last a lifetime. Anyone in this room have a week like that? Absolutely. Of course you don't want to admit it. We're too prideful. But you bet you had that week. You know what I'm talking about. Life has hidden you with its best shots. You've been attacked by the words and the actions of others, right? You've been accused. Wrongly accused. You've been misused. You've been weakened by sickness or disease. You've gone through so much in the workplace, right? That horrible boss. You've had to deal with him every day. You wish he would just call in sick, but there he is, shows up with his face. And it just makes you feel like this every time you see him. I've had a couple of those. Adam, I pray I'm not that way to you. My pastor thinks, whoa. But right, just, there, there's situations you face that you just know are unfair. Just unfair. Some of you, I know, that, I know your journey. You've persevered through schooling. That's been incredibly hard. Through training or continuing education. Many of you, you've had to learn how to live a godly life, a holy life in this dysfunctional system that we call our, our family, right? You've had to do the Thanksgiving. You've had to do the Christmas and actually try to be a Christian. It can be hard. Many of you, you've struggled with your addictions. Many of you, you struggle with your insecurities or your defensiveness. Many of you, you flat out have struggled with your sin. And this past year, there's a good chance that you've had days, weeks, even months that, here's the reality, when you were a kid, you'd never dream would happen to you. You never dream. But yet those days, those weeks, those months, they did happen. And you had to walk through them. So very intense. But the Lord wants to remind all of us this morning that He gets it. He understands. He understands what you've walked through. He understands what it feels like when everyone is against you. He knows rejection. He knows what it's like to be cursed, to be mocked, to be ridiculed. He understands that sting of betrayal. He understands pain. He understands your heartache. He understands your sorrow. Jesus, he even knows what it feels like to be tempted. Jesus experienced it all in his life and in this one crazy week. And because of this, the path that Jesus walked, it brings us comfort. It brings us comfort. See, because of what he walks through, we can be confident that he understands what we're going through. 
I want to say that again. Because of what he walked through, we can understand that he understands what we've walked through. I want to take it even a step further than this. I want you to hear this this morning. Not only does he understand, but he cares what you're going through. What you're going through matters to him. He sees you in your pain and in your distress. And he's not some far off God, right? He's not withdrawn and watching from a distance. No, he tells us in scripture, he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He is here. He cares for you. And he loves you. He loves you. It sounds so simple, yet for so many of us in this room, it's so hard to believe that God truly and really loves us. But he does. You see his love perfectly demonstrated in Jesus. Jesus, he endured so much during his earthly ministry. And he accomplished so much during this holy week. He had a passion. He had a zeal to bring glory to the Father and to save you from your sins. When I think of this holy week, two thoughts come to mind. Number one, it was a terrible week. Number two, it was a beautiful week. Terrible and beautiful It didn't happen by accident. It was all according to the Almighty's plan of salvation. He set it into motion. It is a week of His intense love where God the Son, like Pastor Adam said, willingly gives up His life for the glory of the Father as well as for you and for me. It's a crazy week. But it's a crazy week full of the crazy love of God. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord God, I thank You for your son who walked this path for you and for us. We thank you for his obedience. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his passion, for you, God, and for every one of us in this room. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Let us have ears to hear. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. What a crazy week, huh? Crazy week. You know, quite honestly, we didn't know if we were coming or going. Maybe not you, but but I knew. You knew nothing. I knew something. I knew something big time was going down. Anyway, the whole town was turned upside down. We were with Jesus. The, the feast was going on, Passover was happening, and everybody was talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the tomb. There was also... Hey, this... hey, 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 remember, hey, tell them about the other miracles that happened that week, the other ones. Who's telling the story? I was just trying to... Who's telling the story? You are. So many miracles going on, so many things happening. Oh, 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 hey, remember when Jesus, he rode in on the coals, and people were laying the branches down and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna! That was amazing. Sorry. I bet. So many miracles. So many miracles and so many people thinking that Jesus was the king that we were all waiting for. I even heard one Pharisee came up and he said, this is out of control. It's like the whole world is in a stampede over this man. (laughs) Stampede? Who even talks like that anymore? I swear, if you keep interrupting me, I'm going to go all Elijah on you. Oh, really? Really? I'd like to see that. Not now. Not now. Go, go, go ahead. So there were these Greeks that came up to me, basically Gentiles, and they wanted to see Jesus. Greeks? Don't you mean geeks? 
What are you talking about? I'm Greek. Oh, nothing. Go ahead. So they wanted to see Jesus, and I didn't know what to do, so I went to Andrew. See, I'm not just a pretty face. He needs me. Yeah, I needed you. I needed you to throw under the chariot in case this thing went horribly, horribly wrong. So we went to Jesus, and we told him, but it was like he didn't even hear us talking to him. It was strange. It was as if we were interrupting, we were children, interrupting a really important story. We felt like deer and lamplights. And he, he kept saying, what's he saying? He said, who's up? Who's up? Who's up for the Son of Man to be glory filled? <laughs> no, he didn't. Are you calling me a liar? <laughs> who's up? Who's up for the Son of Man to be glory filled? That's not what he said. He said, it's time. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, it was implied in what I meant. Anyway, where were we? So, so Jesus was telling us about this grain of wheat and how you had to bury it in the soil and how it had to die before it could be brought back to life and reproduce. We knew what he was talking about. He was talking in code again. He was talking about his own life. He was talking about his death. You know, in all honesty, we just didn't get the whole picture. I did. I did. I did. Well, I think I did. I know that... What did Jesus say? I I, want to get this right. Right after the grain thing, he said, whoever takes up his life will lose it. But whoever gives up his life will have eternal life. I I think the phrase that that keeps going back in my mind is, if you want to serve me, follow me. What's it going to gain you if you gain the whole world, but in the process, you lose your very soul? He said, take up your cross and follow me. That was it. That's what he was preparing us for. I forgot about the whole take up your cross thing. He knew the end. Yeah, but it wasn't the end. It's the beginning for all of us. What a crazy week. What a crazy week. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John. The Gospel of John. We're in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, chapter 12. Start in verse 1. It reads, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. So here they are. They're hanging out in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man who was dead and is now alive. He was dead. He had been in the tomb for days. He smelled of death. But Jesus, he commands him, Lazarus, come out. John 11, verse 44 says, the dead man, I love that it says the dead man, the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, this looks awkward. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
Now Jesus, he's now at the home of Lazarus, the dead man who is now alive. And you can see this dinner that is being given in Jesus' honor, right? Jesus, nice work. You raised Lazarus from the dead. You are awesome. I can people, see people just kind of coming up to him, cozying up next to him, you know, just kind of hanging with him, you know, slipping him some denarii and go like, hey, you know, so that whole raising people from the dead thing, like I'm getting older, you know, I'm not getting any younger. You know what I'm talking about? And if when I die, could you raise me from the dead too? Have some more grapes. Right? He's the man. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. The Bible says Martha was there. Mary was there. The disciples were there. And then, this is not over, the whole thing just explodes. Verse 9, read this. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out Jesus was there, and they're coming too. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, this man who smelled, who was raised from the dead. So this party's just been unleashed. It is off the chain. Everybody's trying to get a selfie with Jesus. Jeez. Hashtag, I raised dead people. He's one popular dude. He's a Jewish celebrity. You think, here's the deal though. Ray Wright will know the answer. Do you think the chief priests were happy? No. No. See, listen to this. They already wanted to kill Jesus. Like they had settled that a long time ago. But listen, listen to this. This is what the Bible says. They had made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Verse 11. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. I hope you can see the picture of this scene. This whole thing is crazy. And remember, this is all going down over a dinner. Now, you kind of think it would just die down, right? It would fizzle out the next day. All right, just let's relax a little bit, chillax, go for a walk. But no, it goes up the next level. Emerald Lagasse style, bam, up a notch. Listen to this. Verse 12. The next day, this is the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival they heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches. They went out to meet him. And they're shouting. I mean, I'm too young for this, but I remember the, the video of the Beatles, right? When the Beatles would come to town and the little girls are yelling and fainting and all those kind of things. Think about the Beatles or think about Elvis or today, maybe, I don't know, Katy Perry or Macklemore or Ryan Lewis, whoever you got. You're just freaking out. You're giving them the royal treatment. Literally, you're giving him the royal treatment. These people, I want you to get this, they are declaring Jesus as their king. They are welcoming him into Jerusalem as their king. They come out to, remember, they come out to him, they just shout, Hosanna, right? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They even say, blessed is the who? The king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, he sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming. Say, the king is coming. Say it again. The king is coming. Say it again. Ooh. He's coming. Seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples, they didn't get it. They didn't understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they can't stop talking, right? They, they can't shut up. They just continue to spread the word about Jesus. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this scene, they went out to meet him. So you got these people that saw him when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And they are freaking out. They're telling everybody they can, they can talk to. Like, for real, I'm saying, for real, Jesus raised him from the dead like he was, he stinketh. You know, all those kind of things. But Jesus gives the command, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out, grave clothes and all. And the people hear this and they're like, I got to see this man. I would want to see this man. They come out to see Jesus. I mean, they're excited. Think about it. This guy raises people from the dead and he's going to be their king. 
Anybody else want a king who can raise dead people back to life? And so they come out with those branches, the, the sign of a victorious ruler, and they're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us, Lord! Help us, Lord! Hosanna! They're so excited. Jesus, he's coming in on that donkey just like Zechariah predicted. The king is coming. The king is coming. They're recognizing Jesus as the king, a king in the line of David who would come and liberate Israel, establish peace, and subdue the Gentiles. Hosanna. This is Independence Day. Hosanna. But yet they do not fully understand what's going on. The disciples in the crowd, they, they think they're honoring Jesus, and they are. But they, they do not truly understand the meaning of what's happening. They take it even deeper. They don't understand what they're saying. They're not able to put his entry into Jerusalem and the Scripture together. They, they aren't fully grasping what's taking place. So, yeah, they say, Hosanna. Yeah, yes, they say, save us. They say, help us. Save now. Hosanna. Hosanna. But the salvation that he brings to them, it wasn't what they were looking for. The salvation he brings, it, is, it isn't political liberation they were all hoping for and expecting. We know that instead of rescuing them from political opposition, he comes to save them from something much more serious, from their sin, from the penalty and eternal consequences of their sin. He comes riding in on a donkey to establish a spiritual kingdom that will much more than remove Roman guards. It will have the power to remove sin and to give eternal life. It's much different than what they were looking for in their Messiah. And this week, it's going to look much different than any of them could have ever predicted. Jesus' triumphal entry, it's only the beginning of the week. It's a celebration that sets off an intense, world-changing, history-making, crazy week. Well, well, well. This is amazing. I'm so confused. What's with all this going on? What a crazy week. Wild, mind-boggling. <laughs> this plane crazy. And we were only four days into it. The disciples are saying, hey, we got another three days. I wonder what that's going to be like. Jesus just kind of nods and says, just wait. Just wait. we got three more days to go. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. Hey, there you go. Like Pastor Dan was saying, we had Palm Sunday. Jesus come riding in on a colt. Rock star, welcome into Jerusalem. People were yelling and screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. He is the king. Jesus over here. Jesus. Whoa. We thought the Super Seahawks coming down 4th Avenue in Seattle was something. Whoop, whoop. It was nothing. It was nothing compared to Jesus coming into to Jerusalem. Amazing time of joy and celebration. In the middle of the week, after, after coming in on the donkey, there was about three or four days where Jesus was walking and teaching, hanging out with his disciples, he was healing people. He had long, long hours. He walked everywhere. There's no cars. There's no internet. There was no Facebook. And then he had to meet in the temple for a couple of days with the high priests who did not care for him at all and the elders. And uh, they wanted to know, was he just a man? Was he a prophet? 
Was he a nut job? Or was he crazy? Claiming to be the Messiah and the Son of God. Have you ever had a, a, a week that was so long that you just wanted to get away with family and friends and go find a nice restaurant? Just get away and relax. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted to have his last Passover meal with his disciples. They sent Peter and James, Peter and John, into Jerusalem to find a place. And they found the upper room, this room where they could have leg of lamb, roast lamb, fruits and vegetables, no broccoli, and no Brussels sprouts. That's, that's my thing there. <laughs> Unleavened bread, kind of like pita bread, and lots of red wine. But before the Passover happened, real quick, there were two evil meetings that were taking place. Two evil meetings were the meetings they were trying to find a way to kill Jesus. One, go da-da-da-da. Pretty good. Matthew 26, 3 and 4. Here's the first meeting. The chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and do what to him? There you go. These are the rulers of the Jewish faith. They did not believe Jesus. They, they knew that he'd come in as a king, and the people were turning, and that, to them, was unexcusable, and he had to be killed. All right, say, oh, no. Oh, no. What was he thinking? Matthew 26, 14, 16. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas of Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver you over to if I deliver him, Jesus, over to you? So they they counted out thirty pieces of silver, and from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to him. So for thirty pieces of silver, he's going to give him up. Then we go back to the Last Supper. And there should be a picture of that. There it is. And it says that uh, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup of the wine, and he said, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Here in the church, we call that communion. Every Sunday, first Sunday, we have communion. This is the first communion, but Jesus was trying to warn his disciples that his body was going to be broken, bruised like never before, and his blood was going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. But they didn't quite understand what he was saying. After dinner, Jesus and the disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus wanted to pray. And Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here, I'll go over there. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to pray. He was so, he knew what was coming. He knew that his time is at end. He knew that he was going to die. And he was so troubled. He's, the, one of the things said, he's, he was so hurt that he was sweating, he was praying with such fervent that the capillaries in his forehead were so raw that they started leaking blood, and he bled both blood and tears because he was in anguish and prayer 
for what he's about to do for you and me. Wow. <laughs> so he's praying and, and uh, he said, my soul is overwhelmed. And when he returned, he told the disciples, stay awake. I'll be back in a little bit. When he came back, he found them sound asleep. Just like you and me, we go to sleep in church. We start to read a Bible. We go to sleep. We talk about God. We go to sleep. And so here's the disciples sound asleep. Three times they did that. Jesus go, really? Guys, you know, we've been together for all this time, and you're going to sleep on me? I'm about ready to go with the... Yeah, so, yeah, they were. And then it started to happen. Matthew 26, 47, 49, while he's still speaking to the disciples, it says, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him in a large crowd armed with what? It's going to get ugly. And sent from the high priest and the elders. Now the betrayer, Judas, arranged a signal with them. The one kiss, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest that guy. Going at once, Judas to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him, and they arrested him. Peter grabbed one of the swords and cut off one of the, the soldier's ears. Jesus, in the middle of this, reaches down, grabs the ear, puts it back on, and heals the guy's ear. Suddenly, Jesus had been arrested. He'd been bound up. He was arrested. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was abandoned. And he was deserted. Matthew 25, 56. And it says, his boys, all of them, deserted him and fled. So here's Jesus, all alone, all abandoned, all deserted, all by himself, bound up, being led away. It's, and this is first generation um, law enforcement. They took him and they're beating him and they're hitting him in the kidneys and they're hitting him with sticks and they're roughhousing him and they're taking him to this place. It wasn't a pretty picture. It wasn't like getting back in a squad car with air conditioning. They were taking it to him. Then a little bit later when they got to where they were, it says they blindfolded him. These are the temple guards. They blindfolded Jesus and demanded prophesy. Prophesy. Who hit you? They blindfolded him. They're hitting him. They're hitting him with sticks. They're beating the tar out of him. And he can't see it coming. Then they take him to Caiaphas' house. And Caiaphas is the chief priest. Okay, you following me? The chief priest. They start questioning him, do the same thing. And they finally say, I, I charge you. Caiaphas says, I charge you under the oath of the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus finally said, yes, I am. They got so angry. They yelled, Blasphemy! you got to die! They were out of their minds with anger and hate. Matthew 26, 67, 69. Look what these guys did. Then the high priest and all the elders, they put a blindfold on him again, and they spit in his face, and they struck him with their fist. And others slapped him and said, Prophesy, Messiah. Tell us who hit you. He's getting beat up, beat up for you and me. Finally, they take him over to Pilate. They take him, and Pilate's the governor of the Roman army, and they take him over there, and they stand him in, and Pilate goes up to him and says, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And off to the side, he says, yes, I am. He says, well, why don't you say something? And he stood there and didn't say a word. 
Pilate offered it, and they wanted, what do you want with this Jesus? Crucify him. They wanted him. Pilate says, look, I'll give you a choice between Jesus and this notorious murderer robber named Barabbas. Who do you want? Pilate's thinking, they're going to let the good guy go and, and keep the bad guy in prison. He says, who do you want? Who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus? The crowd goes, Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! What about Jesus? Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate goes, they haven't, he hasn't done anything wrong. Crucify him! Hmm. Hmm. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that the uproar was starting to even get louder, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. He said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. And all the people proudly said, his blood is on us and our children. Then Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And when you're reading that, you can just kind of blow through. He was flogged. This is called a flagrum. They took Jesus and they bent him over a, a pole and handcuffed him across the top so his, all of his back and his front was exposed. And there would normally be two Roman guards. And they would take this and they would whip. But it was a two-step process. These things were full of bone and glass and bone and ceramic. And they take it and they go, Phew! But it would come around and it would stick. So it was whip and rip. Over and over again. You can take that graphic down. Over and over again. Over and over again. Every square inch of his body was bruised, was broken for you and me. So after the flogging, it says in Matthew 27, and I'm just going to read it. It says, Then the governor's soldiers, the soldiers after all of this, all of this took him to a big open courtyard. And they gathered a whole company. I go, what's a whole company? A whole company is anywhere between 80 and 250 professional soldiers. And they're laughing and mocking and I'll just read what happens. It's, and the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the Piatorium and gathered a whole company, 80 to 250 soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a robe on him, then put a twisted crown of thorns that should look like this. And they set it on his head. And it should be a picture. But they just didn't set it. They pushed it down until it made contact and stuck in his head. And then he put a staff. They had a staff and they would bow down. Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! <laughs> they spit upon him and they took his staff. And the scripture says, I'm reading, and they took the staff and they struck him on the head 
again and again and again. Over and over and over. Crazy week. Why did He do that? Because He loves you. He loves me. If you were the only person on the planet, you know what? He would have gone to the cross just for you because He loved you and me this much. That much. Just crazy. Wonderful, crazy love, but still crazy. So I'm going to pick up where, where Randy left off. And, and as, a, as Jesus goes through this torture, really, these beatings that he's taken, he's done nothing wrong, right? He's done nothing wrong to deserve this. Can you imagine the beating? And so, so, so they lead him up the hill with the, with the cross on his back. And as we know with the story, he can't carry it very long because he's just beaten to a pulp. He's done. So somebody else actually has to carry the cross up for him. But they lead him to a hill, and in the Hebrew it's called Golgotha. And, it, and what it means is the place of the skull. This is where people went to die. This is where they brought people to crucify them. And, but here's the, here's the difference. It's usually they took the guilty up the hill, right? They took the guilty. But on this day, they're taking Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, who did nothing wrong. But He's paying for me and you. He's paying for me and you. And so they, they, they after they got Him up the hill, they, they nail Him to the cross. And they... They nail both of his arms on the cross and they, and they put his feet together and they nail his feet together and, they, and then they hang him up there and he's hanging in, in shame, our shame, and disgust. Up there just hanging for the world to see his great love for me and you. See, but nobody could really comprehend that at that time. They didn't understand this. They didn't understand this. This is Jesus. This is their friend. This is their Messiah. People who hung out with him. So he's hanging up there. In Mark 15, 37 through 39, I'm going to read. And after he's been hanging there a while, this is what it says. It says, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Here comes the good news, people. Here comes the good news. That the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Can you imagine the guy who is just beating him, who is torturing him when he's on the cross? All of a sudden, his mind flips. This guy who I just killed, wait a second, he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God. What did we do? What did we do? I want to focus in on just a second. If, uh, when Jesus breathed his last and it says that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That is good news for me and you today. That is good news. Because here's the deal. In the Old Testament, under Mosaic law, they had a curtain in the temple that separated the people from the holies, the holy of holies. 
And the Holy of Holies was the place where God's presence actually dwelt here on earth. And so they had a curtain in the temple that separated the two. We could not go in there. We weren't allowed to. Except for one time a year, one person was allowed in. Was allowed in. And so what this signifies for us today is that when Jesus hung on that cross and breathed his last breath for me and you, the curtain in the temple literally was torn in two from top to bottom. Now we have free access to a holy God through Jesus Christ. That's good news, church. That is good news. Jesus made a way where there was no way. And I love it that it says that, that the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. You notice there wasn't a little hole poked in it. We just don't get to peek in, right? We don't just get a glimpse. Take a picture. What does it look like? No, we are allowed in. We are allowed into the, to the presence of a holy God because the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for each one of us. We have a relationship now with God because of Jesus. You've got to understand something. You can't miss this. It's the only way we have that relationship is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You see, the world that we live in wants to tell us there's many ways to God. There's many ways. But if I read my Bible and I believe what it says, which I do, I only see one way. And some of you, I may be stepping on some toes this morning, but I really don't care. I really don't, because I know it to be true. The only way that Adam Henderson, me, have access to a holy God is through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's the same for you today. So when that, when that curtain was torn, now I am free. I am free to come before God and for Him to be my God. No longer do we have to stand off and be afraid of God and wonder what He's talking about or wonder what He's saying. But now we go, we go in to His presence. In Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 15, 46, and after Jesus had died, after the, temp, or the, the, after the veil was torn in two, it says that, that a guy named Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross and he, and he wrapped it in cloth. And he laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled the stone in front of the entrance. Then he rolled the stone in front of the entrance. Can you imagine being the people that walked with Jesus for three years? And some even longer. I mean, they, their lives were wrapped up in Jesus. Their identity was in Jesus. Everything they are was a part of Jesus. And now he's gone? And now he's gone? I don't know about you, but I'd kind of be depressed. I probably would have done what the disciples did. And went back home and thought, what now? Because Jesus is dead at this time. You have to understand that Jesus died. He was dead in this moment. And so all hope, at least what we thought, was lost at this point. Was lost. Jesus is dead. But I don't know about you, but I'm happy that the story does not end there. I'm happy that it doesn't end there. But there's more good news on the way. Mark 16, 1-4 says this. It says, Saturday evening, 
when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. It said very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled aside. Um, I'm not sure how. What would be the word for terrified and excited? Do you know? All I know is we were both of those things on that morning. And that I ran faster than sandals thought to take you. We had to tell everyone else what happened. After Jesus was crucified, it was all over. I mean, were we wrong about him? We must have been. Jesus was dead. So we hid. We hid in fear. Then on Sunday morning, a small group of us women went to prepare his body with spices and ointments. It was the very least we could do, even if none of it made any sense. Three days, the three longest days of my life, we were afraid. But Sunday, my head raced faster than my feet as we bolted from the tomb. The rest of the disciples will not believe us when we try to explain a massive, sealed tombstone moved. The Roman guards silenced, blinding angels. Unnecessary grave clothes, now neatly folded, lay silent in the tomb if they had a secret to tell. And if a picture's worth a thousand words, then an empty tomb holds a thousand promises. Because do you see what this means? We'd all been waiting for the Messiah to come and restore Israel. Jesus exceeded all expectations. He was a Messiah that none of us could contain. We were hoping too small. It means whatever has been taken from us, God can restore. He lives so we can live too. Our greatest roadblock, it's been removed. Because not even the doors of death will shut out the certainty of life with Jesus. It means our strongest enemy is already defeated. So you tell me, what rival can stand against him? Kings, presidents, the powers that be, whatever's happening now, whatever's to come, the lowest lows and the highest highs. None of these can make that grave less empty. Nothing. No temple veil, no checkered past, no hellish lie. 
None of these will stop the immortal from putting on immortality. He's softened the sting of death and swallowed our defeat in victory. I don't have all the answers, but standing near those discarded grave clothes, those secret-keeping pieces of cloth, Well, the secret's out now. He's not dead. He's not missing. He's not been taken away. He's alive. He walked out of that grave and left death and those grave clothes behind. If there's a way to be had, it is through him. If there's hope in this world, his name is Jesus the Christ. He's alive. The Messiah, our Messiah, my Messiah. He's alive. The secret is out. Woo! He's alive. I said he's alive today. He is alive. He's no longer in that grave that they put him in. He's not there. He's not there. He's alive. Can you imagine? I mean, as we just saw... Walking up to the grave and Jesus just not being there? What? What? It doesn't make sense. Because it's not supposed to. He's bigger than anything we could ask, think, or imagine. He's bigger. And he's alive today. That is the biggest and the best news that has ever hit planet Earth. I'm saying that again, that is the biggest and the best news that has ever hit planet Earth. It is. Because that means that Jesus conquered death. Conquered death. The Bible calls him the first. The first of many to come after him. So now, even as the veil was torn, now we have access to God. After this is all over. After this is all over, Jesus was the first and he conquered death and he conquered sin so that we don't have to live a life of of, of being slaves. Go with me to Romans, Romans 6, 8 through 11. This is what it says. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. You see, that's the only way. That's the only way we get to God is through Christ Jesus. The sacrifice that he made, the penalty that he paid, that's the only way is through Jesus. And, and I was, as I was reading Romans uh, this week, I kept thinking, now why, does, why, do, I mean, why are they making a big deal that he only needs to die once? Um, and, and, and so I was like, you know, so I, I began to dig in a little deeper and try to figure it out. But here was the deal, is, is, is in the Old Testament, under Mosaic law. Under Mosaic law, they would, they would uh, sacrifice a lamb each year. They would sacrifice a lamb each year. Israel would. 
And the reason they sacrificed this lamb was to roll back their sins another year. It's literally why they did it. To roll back their sins another year. You see, this lamb that they sacrificed, this physical lamb, you know, real lamb that they sacrificed, only had the ability to roll back sin another year. So next year, they had to do the same thing again. And then next year, they had to do the same thing again. And so for hundreds of years, this is what they did. This was tradition to them. It was their religion. And when Jesus shows up, yeah, I mean, you know, the Bible calls him the perfect lamb of God. That's what it does. It calls him the perfect lamb of God. And so when he hung on that cross and he sacrificed his life for you and I, his sin did, I mean, his blood didn't just roll back sin in our lives. It took it away. It took it away. It's like it wasn't even there to start with. And God no longer remembers it. God no longer remembers it. I love that, that, that Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God, that God loved us so much that He sent Him. You see, I have, I, I have a daughter. Her name is Kennedy. If you think I'm going to sacrifice her for you, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I don't even understand that. How is that possible? But that's what God did for each and every one of us in this room today. He took his one son and he said, hey, look, son, I got a job for you to do. I need you to go win back creation. And I need you to go win back these people for me. Jesus looked at him and said, all right. We can do that. We can do that. I'd have been terrified. But Jesus, in his obedience to God and his love for God, he said, yes, God. Yes, Dad, I'll do it. So he came to earth. And all those things that happened, we just read about. And he was the perfect Lamb of God. So therefore, he took away our sin. He took it away. He didn't just, just cover it up. He took away our sin. And that is great news for me and you today. That is the great news of Jesus Christ. You see, you've got to understand also, so, so what's the big deal about sin? Some of you may be asking that. What's the big deal about Jesus taking away our sin? you just got to understand what sin is and what sin leads to. You see, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, basically the payment of sin is death. Is death. So sin leads to death. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. But it says after that, the good news always comes after. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You see, the wages of sin, the thing that we could not get rid of, the thing that we on our own cannot defeat, Jesus came and defeated. He defeated sin and then he defeated death after it. That's what he did when he showed back up. He said, death cannot hold me down. It cannot hold me down. And so as we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it no longer can hold you down. And sin has no power. The power of sin is broken. I love Romans 6, 8-11. Because it shows us that. That Jesus, He died once. He's not coming and He's not dying again. He's not going to repeat that. This time He'll come differently. This time he's going to come a little different. But he's not coming and he's not repeating it again. Why? Because it was all accomplished. It was all done. 
it was accomplished. And so I love what it says in verse 11. So you also, me and you, this is talking to me and you. So you also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That we no longer are controlled by sin. It doesn't control us. See, some of you may be in here today and say, well, I I think it does. No, you just have to know who you are in Christ. You need to figure out who you are in Christ. You need, to re- you need to learn your real identity. That sin has no power over you and me. It does not control us anymore. It can't. Jesus broke it. So when I come into that relationship, the power of sin is broke. Why? Because he did it. Not me. He did it. I just step into what he did. So I want to invite the worship team up this morning. And they're going to they're going to begin to to play and to, and to worship again. And here's we want to do something a little different this morning. We want to. How I many you know that that with the sacrifice that was made, there's a response that needs to happen. It just needs to happen. A sacrifice that big. And I don't know about you, but I can be a forgetful person. Right? When the things of life start hitting me and start, start messing with me, I can forget about sometimes, not the good news of Jesus Christ, but everything he really purchased for us. The promise that we have in Jesus Christ. That I am dead to sin and now I live in God through Christ Jesus. So here's what we're going to ask you to do this morning. We're going to ask you to respond. And that's going to take you getting out of your seat this morning. And what we have here is we have these grave clothes. These grave clothes. The ones that Jesus didn't need anymore because he conquered the grave. He conquered death. He don't need these anymore. So here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you, as they begin to, to sing the song, to, to get out of your seat and to, and to make your way down this aisle right here. So if you're in this section over here, we're going to ask you to walk around the back and come down this aisle and grab this grave clothes. Why? Because it's a reminder to me and you that we are no longer controlled by sin. We are that Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death for each one of us. And now we are made a new creation in him. So we're gonna walk down this aisle and, and, and you can grab it right here, and then we'll come back down this way and just find your seat. But let's take this time real serious this morning. Let's take it real serious and let's focus in and, 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 and come into the fact that Jesus, you are everything you said. You are everything to me. God, we love you. We love you. Can I get everybody to, to bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment? And I and I know that, that we responded just a second ago by, by taking the piece of piece piece of uh, grave clothes but there's something bigger that I think needs to happen in this room this morning and that's this is that I know that there's people here who have never invited Jesus Christ to come into their life and be the Lord and Savior see when you talk about love the Bible has a has a great great verse for love and it's John 15 13 and it says that the, that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. That that's the ultimate love. And 
that's what Jesus Christ did for each one of us in this room. But we have to respond to it. We have to respond to it. And I just want to tell you this right now, that there's nothing too big, there's nothing too bad, there's nothing too ugly, there's nothing out there that'll stop you from having a relationship with Christ. And I know that there's people in this room, and you say, oh, I don't have it all figured out, and I would kind of like to figure things out before. Well, I don't have Jesus figured out either. But I know that He's real, and I know that He's my King. So if you, with, all, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room this morning, you say, you say Adam, I want to I I make that commitment today. Would you just raise your hand where you're at? hands. Keep them up for us, please. Keep those up for us. Thank you, God, for what you're doing, for what you did. And if everybody in this room would would repeat after me, say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as Lord of my life. And I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. And I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Come and be Lord of my life. Thank you for the sacrifice you made. I respond to it now. Now, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the people who who, who raised their hands this morning. God, um, um, what a beautiful thing. No greater decision could ever have been made than that one right there. So, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Hey, if you made that decision this morning, if you made that decision this morning, hopefully you got something in your hand uh, by one of the ushers. Um, Also, uh, we would like to hear from you. So come see myself or or Pastor Dan or Pastor Randy right over here. Let us know the, the, uh, the decision that you made. We would love to walk this journey out with you. The decision's great, but now you're on a journey. And we would love to do that. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. So before you even leave this room, Come talk to us, all right? We want to pray with you. Great decision. God is good, huh? God is good.